0: Okay, uh, good morning everybody. Uh, my name is Dirk Schoenmaker from Broekel, and I will be moderating this uh, panel. So we have a small group but that means that we can have a real discussion. Uh, so that's always uh, good news. And uh, we have two speakers today. First is um, uh, Anatoly from the Banca d'Italia from the Financial Stability Department. He will present the paper. And then Benjamin Friedrich <coughs> from EBA, European Banking Authority, will uh, be discussing. And the official title is uh, Integrating Stress Tests uh, Within the, the Basel III Framework. And I think the real interesting underlying idea is, can we do counter-cyclical macroprudential policy? And uh, just to start off, we had a discussion uh, at the European Commission because they are reviewing uh, the framework. Um, so there was an, uh, there is a, uh, a consultation period and they had this public uh, hearing. And then I would say that three-quarters of the audience, including central bankers, were all uh, sceptical. So we only do macroprudential for resilience reasons, so you make the buffers higher uh, when the bad weather is coming, but you don't make it lower when needed. Uh, That's a true counter-cyclical thing. And I was quite disappointed uh, with that, because I really think, uh, just as a kick-off, if 11 um, out of 10 crises are housing related, then, and housing is all about boom bust, then, and we all know that the interest rate cannot do it on its own monetary policy, there is an extremely strong case for counter cyclical policy. Uh, Ireland, Spain, US. so in that sense, I think uh, the presentation today is extremely timely, because if we can really do proper counter-cyclical, then uh, we, we, uh, if we can use it really as a good tool, then we can be more proactive on that front. And against that background, uh, I would like Nathalie to, uh,
1: to ask to start your presentation. Thank you very much, uh, Dirk, and thank you, I want to thank the Institute Bruegel for inviting me to pre- present this, uh, this uh, work with my, one of my co-authors at the, at the Bank of Italy, Pierluigi Bologna. And um, <clears throat> so the, the, the presentation is, is based on, a, on an occasional paper of the Bank of Italy that has been recently published, whose title is uh, pretty self-explaining. Uh, integrating stress tests within the Basel-3 Capital Framework, a macroprudentially coherent approach. It's not a very (laughs) sexy (laughs) title, but it is pretty self-explaining at least. So the first thing I have to say is that the usual disclaimer applies. Uh, The views uh, I'm going to uh, express in this presentation are my own and do not necessarily coincide with those of uh, Banca d'Italia. And if you want a second disclaimer, is that uh, <laughs> uh, I work in the economics department of the, of the Bank of Italy in the Financial Stability Division. I, I have not been ever involved in conducting uh, stress tests. So what we, we have done in this work with my co-author, uh, Luigi is more of a, an outsider uh, conceptual reflection based on economics on how stress tests uh, should be integrated into the Basel III uh, framework. So I'm very happy that Benjamin is here to to, to discuss our our work uh, and to provide his uh, insider view on the uh, on the issue. So I think that these two opposed views may be very valuable. <coughs> So, uh, why are are we talking today about uh, macroprudential policies, about uh, Basel III instead of Basel II, and uh, about uh, uh, stress tests? Uh, So, it it has obviously to do with the events in the past uh, crisis. So, in the run-up to the to the great financial crisis, the balance sheet of financial uh, intermediaries expanded <coughs> very aggressively. And uh <coughs> banks increased uh, their, their leverage and their maturity mismatch. They were funded with uh, ever shorter and shorter um, debt uh, um, funding. And this happened contemporaneously with the market perception of very low uh, risk in terms of, of the spreads of all... a uh, very wide range of, of different uh, securities and very compressed uh, risk premium. Then, all of a sudden, in uh, August uh, 2007, when the initial losses Related to, to those at the time where the subprime uh, assets uh, were realized, the situation suddenly reverted. Banks experienced uh, uh, funding <laughs> problems in wholesale uh, debt markets, who which led to to fire sales and ever increasing uh, liquidity I- illiquidity in the, in secondary markets, and this led banks to. Uh, to deliver uh, all at the time, uh, um, propagating uh, contagion and distress, first within the financial sector and then uh, to, to the rest of, of the economy. We all know that uh, the, there was the need of, of, of massive public interventions in terms with very important cost to the taxpayer Explicit uh, when it comes to bailouts and implicit when it comes to uh, the impact on the real economy of the of, of the inability inability of in- impaired banks to uh, perform their right, vital uh, uh, role in the in the economy as uh, credit and intermediaries and this gave the necessary push to uh, to to engage in, in an important uh, real regulatory reform of the financial sector, motivating many of the elements of this reform. There is the uh, macroprudential objective of enhancing uh, financial stability and reducing the volatility of the financial cycle. When it comes to, to, to banks that are crucial in the financial sector, especially in Europe, uh, uh, the post-crisis bank's capital adequacy is established with two novel instruments, the Basel-Free Capital Standards and also uh, supervisory stress tests. And both of them have some uh, macroprudential di- dimensions. So let me uh, say a few words on each of these two instruments. Basel theory is sta- standards with respect to, to the Basel to Capital Framework uh, has increased the quantity and quality of minimum capital requirements and has also introduced uh, or, or also requires banks to, to build buffers, as uh, Dirk said, uh, during expansions whose uh, aim is uh, allow banks to have some caution to absorb losses without, uh, uh, without engaging in uh, the, the, the leverage uh, during downturns. So, in particular, there are these two uh, loss-absorbing buffers, the capital conservation buffer and the countercyclical capital buffer that I'm sure you are uh, familiar with. And uh, the macro prudential objective of, of this, of the time varying <coughs> dimension of, of these uh, buffers is on the one hand, and primarily, to, to, to increase the capacity of bank's capacity to absorb losses while, during, during downturns while keeping, providing credit to the economy. And second, uh, mm, to make it more costly to expand the balance sheets during expansions in order to mitigate uh, excessive uh, credit growth during those, um, at that point of the cycle. Now, supervisory stress tests have uh, become uh, the the other one in, in, in many jurisdictions like the US, the UK, and also at the Euro area level. Another instrument in order to assess the adequacy of, of, of the capitalization of, of, of banks and why, why all of a sudden supervisory stress tests become uh, a new element of the, of the, policy, the policy toolkit. The, the reason is that they were perceived as crucial. I mean, in particular, the, the, this cap uh, stress tests conducted by the Fed in 2009, joined with uh, com- combined with uh, a credible uh, public backstop, were perceived as crucial in re- reestablishing the, the the confidence in the in the U.S. financial uh, sector. So, uh, partly because of that, maybe not only, but partly because of that, they have. Become uh, part of the new policy toolkit, and not just a, as a crisis management tool, but also uh, as an instrument, very important in order to set uh, banks' capital requirements, also during normal times and during expansions. So, in a supervisory stress test, the the, the authorities define exogenously a, 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 an adverse macro, macroeconomic uh, scenario. And then <clears throat> the losses that each bank would, the capital losses that each bank would suffer under that uh, scenario are es- estimated. By doing so, supervisory stress tests are able to capture the effect of common exposures and correlations uh, within, uh, within, the, uh, within banks. Something that the risk-weighted uh, uh, um, capital Requirements of, of Basel are not able to to capture. So in this sense, supervisory stress tests are um, are uh, add value to the to, to the portfolio variance risk-weighted capital requirements of, of of the Basel standards, and are a useful tool in order to ensure the resilience of banks against uh, negative shocks. Also, there are currently uh, Central banks and not only uh, other institutions uh, uh, investing massive resources in in order to try to capture the dynamics of crisis events, try to capture model how uh, negative shocks may uh, may amplify through the working uh, of the of the of the banking sector mainly. Ma- 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 mainly by capturing the interplay between illiquidity problems and solvency pl- problems, fire sales and, and the leveraging, and uh, this is work in progress. But uh, but uh, uh, something we in the future we may expect of uh, uh, stress tests and. Th- those two elements correlations within institution and the potential of capture, cap- capturing the effect of common shocks uh, at the aggregate level uh, have given uh, and, um, have m- made policymakers praise these uh, uh, tools as a potential to uh, enhance the macroprudential approach to banking supervision so after this uh, long uh, <laughs> uh, uh, background, what uh, our paper and this presentation is about. So what are our, the questions we ask ourselves and what are the answers? So we have two instruments to set capital uh, requirements. Uh, and our, and the question is how to integrate the capital implications of stress tests within Basel III. Our answer to this question is, uh, is the introduction of a stress test buffer that is additional to those in, ba- in the Pillar 1 of Basel III. And th- that depends on the stress test uh, capital losses that each bank uh, experiences. And this a- approach is, is different, related but different to, uh, the, 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 to, to, to what has been usually done in, in the past in which the results of the stress test were um, usually presented as in, in terms of a pass fail a pass fail and in case of failure uh, capital uh, measure of the capital shortfall the second question we want we ask ourselves ourselves is okay basel 3 has some uh, m- macroprudential elements supervisory stress tests could enhance also the microprudential approach to banking supervision, but when we put them together, how do we ensure microprudential coherence? And our answer to that uh, question is, we have to conduct stress tests with procyclical severity, meaning that severity has to be increased during expansions and has to be decreased during uh, downturn. And this is the way to achieve uh, a counter-cyclical approach. To, so <laughs> it, it may be a little bit uh, misleading talking about procyclical stress tests, and then, but the way procyclical stress tests, in their severity, are a way to go against financial, the buildup of financial imbalances, a way to go ca- countering the cycle. And finally, in terms of implementation, how should we implement in a, in a predictable <coughs> uh, and, and transparent manner uh, stress tests uh, with cyclical severity, also taking into account the risk of the so-called inaction bias. Uh, and uh, with, uh, uh, Something uh, f- that for those who are not familiar with, I will come. Um, on the issue later. And our answer is following a constrained discretion approach to severity severity choices that is based on a simple severity measure. We all talk about uh, severity of stress tests all the time and but we still don't have a measure of what severity is. And uh, this is, in my view, a problem <laughs> that should be fixed. So we have to to, to rely on simple severity measures <clears throat> of the scenarios chosen by the authorities, and the authorities should uh, follow a constrained discretion approach based on a rule for uh, severity. Child. So let me go to the first question, how to integrate the stress tests within uh, Basel III. So Basel III introduces two buffers, the countercyclical capital buffer and the, ca- uh, ca- uh, and the capital conservation buffer, uh, whose aim is to absorb losses during, uh, during uh, downturns. Stress tests uh, estimate the, the losses, that banks would would suffer under an exogenously uh, specified macro uh, adverse shock. And the goal of stress tests is to ensure the resilience of banks uh, with respect to to those uh, events, negative events. So it seems natural to use uh, stress tests to measure to what extent the 2 Basel basal-3 buffers are enough to uh, accommodate, to withstand the, the, the losses stemming from that uh, macro shock. So formally, we propose to, deva- to, to define the following uh, stress test buffer, something that we call stress test buffer, and which is basically the difference between the, the capital losses that the bank would suffer under the, the adverse uh, scenario defined in the stress test, and the aggregate of the, of the two Basel III buffers. When, when the buffers are above the, the, the bank uh, estimated losses, the stress test buffer would be zero. When the losses exceed those two buffers, the stress test buffer would be positive. And we propose to set this uh, stress test buffer as an additional capital requirement, uh, additional to uh, those already in in Basel III Pillar One, and both the minimum and the the buffers, and and to make it uh, transparent. To, to disclose it. A nice property of the, the stress test uh, buffer is that it tr- transforms the stress test uh, results into the basal language of buffers instead of talking about um, in terms of pass fail and capital shortfall, which is not the, the usual. So it, it kind of achieves a harmonization in terms of termo- terminology. At the cost of introducing an additional buffer in a world in which <laughs> there are already a few ones So let me give you an illustration of because I everything will become clearer. I, I hope so um, we have a bank I Cannot use the pointer right? Okay. So we have a bank that has some minimum uh, uh, Capital requirements and also uh, if the bank is systemic some uh, GSIIB buffer globally systemic, uh, important bank uh, buffer And it has some counter-cyclical and, and capital conservation buffer. We conduct uh, a Stress test buffer and one of the banks uh, Bank K has a low exposure. So it's a, a, a Experiences or supervisors expect the estimate the losses under the stress test of this bank to be low so that's the capital, uh, the, 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 the usable buffers uh, are enough to, to, to accommodate these losses. In this case, bank A would uh, experience a stress test buffer of zero. Then we have uh, bank B, which have a higher exposure to, to the shocks that have been uh, 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 included in the, in, the, in the adverse scenario. Supervisors estimate the stress test losses to, to be high, so that the, the, the capital conservation and counter-cyclical capital buffer are not enough to absorb them. And as a result of that, uh, the, after the stress test, the bank B would uh, be subject to an additional s- positive uh, stress test uh, buffer that is equal to the difference between the two. I hope so far it is, it is clear. So let me, le- let me make a, a brief comment on, on what is the relationship between the stress test buffer and the, and the GSIB buffer. Indeed, the way we propose to, to define the, the stress test buffer is complete, completely uh, unrelated to whether or not the bank is systemic. So in the com- computation of the stress test buffer, we compare the stress test losses with the capital conservation buffer and the countercyclical capital buffer. The result of that is that Systemic banks will be subject to higher resilience standards. Let me illustrate it in the in the in the figure. So here uh, we have uh, two banks before the stress test. One of them is systemic. Is bank A is not systemic, so it doesn't experience. Uh, it, it, it is not subject to a GSII. B buffer, and bank B is systemic, so it faces a positive GSSI B buffer. The way we have uh, defined the stress test buffer is such that this buffer will be the same one for bank A and bank B. But since we propose the stress test buffer to be additional to all the other Pillar 1 uh, uh, buffers the bank is subject to, as a result of the, of the stress test, Bank B will be subject to, uh, to higher aggregate capital requirements. So there could be, I mean, um, even though the purpose of the GSIIB buffer is also to give more room to systemic banks to, to accommodate losses to, uh, during crisis, if we conduct a stress test with same severity for both systemic and non-systemic banks. And we don't take into account that we want systemic banks to be more resilient because their potential failure creates a lot of distress in in all the economy. (coughs) We need to set higher standards in what the hurdle rate is. For systemic banks in this stress test, in order to for this to transform in higher resilience standards for systemic banks under the overall capital framework. So that is that's why we don't allow in our proposal systemic banks to use their GSIB buffer to absorb the losses that arise for, uh, from the. Uh, Let me go to a brief uh, description of how the stress test buffer is uh, related to the, the capital shortfall measure that has been uh, usually used uh, in, in presenting <coughs> the results of stress tests, and how it relates also to the voluntary buffers that uh, ha- banks hold uh, on top of the, of the regulatory requirements. So. Mm, In this figure, I I illustrate um, two banks whose only difference is their voluntary buffer before the the distress test. Bank A has a a low voluntary buffer and Bank B has uh, a high voluntary buffer. But both of them are subject to the same uh, regulatory requirements. And both of them experience uh, the same uh, stress test losses under the, the exercise. So in the case of, of let's, let's start with, uh, with bank B. Let's go, let's look at a bank B that has a high voluntary buffer. The result of the stress test is a positive requirement of a stress test buffer because the, the stress test losses were above the addition of the CCYB and CCOB. So, Bank B faces a positive stress test buffer, but since uh, it was holding a voluntary buffer for the, press, uh, the stress test that was, uh, that was large, it is able to accommodate these uh, additional uh, capital requirements out of uh, a, rec- a, reduction, a reduction of its voluntary buffer. So now, and that's why we think disclosure is important. Now, okay, I shouldn't rush. Uh, Market participants uh, realize that not all all the voluntary buffer is any more voluntary. Part of it is is, is regulatory requirement. In the case of Bank K, that has a small voluntary buffer, the, this, the new stress test buffer um, requirement would lead to a capital shortfall. And uh, this is what makes the, because the voluntary buffer is not enough to satisfy the initial requirement, this is what, what, what links to the, the, the capital shortfall uh, measure, the, the link between the stress test buffer, voluntary buffer and capital shortfall measure. So let me go to, to the macroprudential coherence and how ensure that the Basel III standards and the, the what supervisory stress tests uh, bring to it uh, and end up uh, being macroprudential coherence. So, um, capital banks capital is a cushion that protects protects, uh, uh, the debt holders of a bank. So we can kind of interpret bank capital requirements, requiring banks to hold capital, as requiring banks to operate under some resilience levels. So in a capital framework such as Basel III, in which buffers are built up during expansions to be used during downturns, we can interpret this uh, this, uh, this capital framework as one that in which resilience is augmented during expansions and reduced during uh, downturns. So we let operate banks under lower resilience, with a higher probability of default to say it. <laughs> In a, in a transparent way during downturns than during expansions. And then macroprudential coherence, when we integrate stress tests into the Basel III framework, requires that the level of resilience embedded in supervisory stress tests follows the same cyclical path. And what is the resilience, the level of resilience required by stress tests is very much related to the severity that we put in in, in in the in the in the adverse scenarios. So this means that the severity should be procyclical. We want higher resilience during expansion, so severity should be higher during expansions and we allow lower resilience during downturns. So severity should decrease during downturns. And, and let me illustrate it with, 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 uh, with this uh, slide. So imagine, in, in, this, in, in, in this slide we have, um, we, we illustrate three points of the, of the financial cycle. One is the early expansion, two is uh, the peak of the cycle, and, and three is, is a downturn. So on the left hand side we have the, the Basel III standards. In which, in which, as you see, they have this time varying uh, uh, dimension the, that comes out of the counter-cyclical capital buffer. So buffers are increased as we get to, to the peak of the cycle, and they are decreased. If we conduct stress tests with a con- constant severity, as is shown in panel A, in the upper part of the, of the slide, stress tests with co- constant severity, which lead to the same stress test losses all over the cycle, the resulting capital framework exhibits constant constant aggregate uh, capital requirements. Because there is basically, to the extent that severity is constant and stress test losses are constant, there is any any increase in Basel III buffers is just offset with a decrease in the uh, stress test buffer, so that in the end, the overall uh, capital uh, uh, required uh, to banks is constant. So we lose the time varying aspect that is the key aspect to to ensure that we achieve the macroprudential objective of enhancing financial stability and leaning against financial imbalance. Instead, if we conduct procyclical severity in which the stress test losses uh, uh, increase as we increase the severity along the cycle, the, the resulting uh, framework exhibits, that you see in the, in the bottom uh, right panel, exhibits the time-varying macroprudential um, dimension that we are uh, looking for. And, um, I mean, let me go very, very briefly on... conclusions. Yeah, I will go. So just uh, the, the implementation, no, uh, I, I want to be critical So uh, on, on our proposal and, and, and very fast say our proposal is easier said than done. And, uh, <laughs> but I'm sure Benjamin will say a lot about this. It's not so easy because we have to define what severity is, how do we measure severity, and, uh, and, then, and then how do we ensure that we, we, we are severe when we have to be severe, despite the likely opposition of, of banks that won't like to see their uh, capital requirements further increased when things look during expansions that it seems that there is no risk anywhere. And then maybe this is something we can leave for the discussion kind of of, of, a, of a comparison across jurisdictions between what is the different approaches to, to, to stress testing in, in different ju- jurisdictions, just to say it in, 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 five, in, in, in five seconds. Our proposal is not- it's, it's, Call American. It, I say it's more <laughs> to go UK <laughs> it's that we are not revolutionary so we are kind of it's uh, it's it's, it's um, broadly in line with uh, the current approach in the UK with some differences and it's in line also with the current approach in the United States it will be even closer with the announced uh, the US has uh, the, the, the the federal reserve has recently announced uh, some modifications on the way we are going to conduct uh, stress tests from the 2018 cycle that has uh, some further similarities to our proposal and uh, so i mean mm, just to 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 conclude with the last uh, bullet point of my conclusions Conclusions and just <laughs> as a way to yeah. give the the word uh, the, To Benjamin so the definition and implementation of, of a policy framework that follows Our proposal so that is broadly in line with our proposals in the euro area Is maybe more challenging than in other jurisdictions because in the euro area there are many countries with heterogeneous uh, positions in the financial cycle. And we have to design uh, adverse scenarios that take, uh, that we should define uh, uh, adverse scenarios that take into account that uh, that, uh, heterogeneity. So it is more challenging, it is a much more difficult task, but I think it's equally necessary. Okay, thank you very much for this presentation. (coughs)
0: Let then we go to Benjamin, uh, whether you think it's feasible and whether it is desirable.
2: Okay, well, thank you very much. Firstly, thank you for the presentation and, well, thank you for the opportunity to comment on that. And in- indeed, I think my comment will be more on the practical aspects in a way. First of all, I'll also have to make a couple of disclaimers. The first disclaimer, as always, what I'm, whatever I'm going to say are my personal views and not necessarily the views of the EBA. Um, second disclaimer: Well, I work for the EBA, which is a microprudential institution, so my views might be slightly biased from that side. Third disclaimer: At the EBA, um, I'm responsible for the work on stress testing, particularly the methodology and the coordination of the EU-wide stress test. So, of course, when I read a paper on stress testing, capital buffers, everything I, is, I see is from the perspective of the EU-wide stress test. But let's let's start with the let's start with the paper. So. I mean, there are three main points in there. One, I won't really comment a lot on, which is uh, it would be good to have a robust and simple measure for severity. And indeed, it would be very good, it would be great, it would be very happy if we had a measure like that. So far, we, we don't have one, um, but any ideas are very welcome there. Um, then almost the main um, comment is that stress tests or the severity of stress tests should be pro-cyclical. And there are a couple of, let's say, underlying statements which I will comment on um, like um, that um, the, the, the counter, uh, counter-cyclical capital buffer, the capital conservation buffer, should be part of the stress test buffer, there should be a, a stress test buffer, and the whole thing should be consistent with the Basel III framework. I think, for me, that's one big uh, combined statement. And then the last one is uh, the sort of constraints um, for supervisors or for authorities to, to, de- uh, to set the severity, you call it the constraint discretion. So my comments will focus on the second one. And I think I mostly think of the objectives and the implementation of stress tests. And I also have some comments all there on the more let's call it policy or governance implications. Okay, so first of all, um, the the statement that we need a stress test buffer. Well, I think that's that's well established. So in the EU we've done several EU stress tests. You mentioned the Fed stress test indeed or the Bank of England. Other authorities have similar frameworks. So I think there are few people who would, de- would not say that stress are a good tool to look at the capital adequacy of banks. In fact, that's what we've been doing the last couple of years, and it's a requirement. So in the CRD, there's a requirement for supervisors in the EU on an annual basis to carry out supervisory stress tests in their assessment. And There are also EBA guidelines um, dealing with the topic, so I think this sort of idea of a stress test buffer, although we don't call it stress test buffer, just to make things more complicated, we call it it, capital guidance, not capital buffer, is, I'd say, well established. But there are a number of open issues, and I think then in in the paper, um, you deal with very important open issues, which is uh, the interaction of different buffers, and in particular, let's say, the interaction of macroprudential and microprudential. Buffers, which I think is a wider topic than what's in the in the paper, but it's still for me it's an open issue. This is a very relevant, um, very r- relevant issue. Then the next question is um, the the way it is approached there. So um, I would say the, the 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 question if a stress test buffer, I'm just stick to the terminology of the paper, should be pro cyclical. It's very related to the objective. So in, in the EU, um, our objectives, in, um, again, I'm taking the example of the EBA, we have the objective to run a stress test to assess the resilience of financial institutions to adverse market conditions. Um, that's a very broad objective, but still, I mean, what we do is we look at a scenario which we think is credible, that is then designed by the by the of B, in fact, and the objective is to see whether banks can actually withstand um, such, a, such a shock. And that is the main question. It's not necessarily then pro-cyclical. So you mentioned the, the stresses we did, I mean, 11 and 14, that was more crisis management. So indeed, what we, what we did, we, we asked banks to increase capital in a crisis. It was a crisis management tool that by definition is not really um, pro-cyclical. Well, it's so not a pro-cyclical severity, it's the opposite. But I think no one would say that we shouldn't have done that in the end. We, we, shouldn't have, we shouldn't have asked banks to release capital in 2011 because there was a problem with confidence in the banking sector. There was a problem with undercapitalization that had to be fixed. So, as I said, it's, it's, it's part of, the, um, it's part of the, um, the objective of the exercise. Another example I have is um, a, a stress test. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be based on a broad... Macroeconomic scenario, we could do something completely different. So, we could think of a stress test with a completely different focus. So, let's see what if we had a stress test that looked into um, just conduct risk and cybersecurity, which could be a valid thing to look at for banks to see whether, for, actually for supervisors to see whether their banks could withstand such a shock. Um, then, the link to a capital conservation buffer, linked to the counter cyclical capital buffer, is not that strong anymore. Similarly, with a more typical topic, Dirk mentioned in the beginning, real estate. Um, of course, stress tests are often used as a tool to see what happens if some sort of real estate bubble bursts or if just real estate prices crash. And that is cyclical in nature. It's not necessarily exactly the same risk which is being looked at in the, um, the um, counter-cyclical capital buffer, which looks at the broader economy. So I th- I'd say, this interaction between those buffers is unfortunately more complex, and whether there is an overlap depends on the objective of the stress test, and whether it has to be, the severity has to be adjusted through the cycle, again, depends on the, the objective of the stress test. Um, then um, talk, let's talk a bit about the, this constrained discretion approach that is proposed in the paper. And I think that's very linked to what I just said on the objectives. So if the objective is to just assess resilience in a specific scenario, um, constraints could actually be be risky. So if um, there is a credible risk that um, um, competent authorities plan to look at, um, they probably shouldn't be constrained. And um, I mean, that's also what we do in the EU-wide stress test. So we base it on what is seen as the core risk that could be something like a global macrofinancial shock could be a um, um, shock to risk premia on a global level how then countries react um, depends on how volatile these countries are how they are exposed to this shock that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to look at the credit to credit to gdp gap and in, in fact i think it's one of the metrics the ecb doesn't look to into too much in in this scenario because they they want to know how these shocks then um, affect different countries, and competent authorities want to know uh, what those shock will, will do to their banks. So it's a very different um, way of looking and at uh, stress test scenarios. And um, I think there, also the consistency within Basel III, the severity, um, is less relevant. So it's a very different, uh, as I said, very different objective. So. Um, in a nutshell, uh, putting these two things together, I think the framework that's proposed in, in the paper, uh, in practice, would be more complex to implement, and it deals with, very, with a very specific situation. So, when I read the paper, I always thought it looks a bit like a calibration tool for the uh, counter capital buffer, but there might be there might be other other things to look at in stress testing. Then um, I also do have some comments on uh, what I say, the, the policy implications. So if there was such a such a buffer, where should it be? And so I said in the beginning, in the, in the EU, um, we don't have it in pillar one, in fact, it's pillar two. And in there, it's not a um, requirement, but it's um, we call it a capital guidance. So the stress test results, like in 2016, that we did that for the first time, should form then the basis for guidance for uh, for banks, for additional capital to be to be held, and um, the, the reason for that is firstly that's I'd say intrinsically counter or pro-cyclical. I'm not sure which term to use always, but I think we all mean the same thing. Because this sort of capital guidance is something that's not a requirement through the cycle. So meaning, if banks have that capital, it can actually be used in a crisis. I think we all agree on that. I mean, if we ask banks to hold capital. Based on a stress test, and the stress happens, then the capital should also be there to be to, to be used. But this, but not saying it's a requirement, a pillar two requirement, but guidance makes it usable, I'd say. So that's one argument for having it in pillar, um, pillar two. And another argument would be: again, I have to say the world is complex. We've seen that in the EU-wide stress test. Um, we don't only look at just the quantitative stress results, we have to look at into other things. We have to look into and how the stress test from the objectives interlinks with existing capital buffers—that's um, as said in the paper. We also have to look into things like uh, what mitigating actions um, have banks taken or which are planned, and all of those then form the, all of those combined then form the, the capital guidance, and that just cannot. And this is a discussion that can only take place in the in this rep so under mm-hmm. under pillar two. Um, and last, last comment on the policy side, um, I think you didn't mention in the presentation, but I still have to comment on that. In the paper, there's this division between the, the UK and the Eurozone from stress testing. Well, I work in an EU institution. So, so far, I'd say we don't have that split. Uh, if we need a stress testing framework, it should ideally be on an EU level. And, in fact, many of the things in the paper, they don't just touch upon the responsibilities of competent authorities, but actually EU law so the buffers, for example, they're EU law, and in fact, on some of the topics the EBA is currently working on uh, to give some um, some more guidance. So, um, firstly on the stress test, the stress test framework, and also in particular on this issue of um, Pillar Two guidance instead of Pillar Two requirements, those are topics where we're working on and where there will be more, um, let's say, more um, guidance than for banks and for supervisors. But on an On an EU level. I think I'll stop here.
0: Thank you very much, Uh, Benjamin, and you said you you gave the the micro approach from uh, the European Banking Authority. We would have had a second discussion, uh, Camelo Saleo from the European Central Bank, but uh, our friends from Lufthansa are on strike, (laughs) so he couldn't fly in. But I'm in the Advisory Scientific Committee of the European Systemic Risk Board, which meets at the ECB, so I will then take uh, now two minutes uh, as multitasking chairman uh, to do the macro side because I think uh, both sides are needed for the discussion and then we open up for questions. And if I look at the proposal uh, from a macro uh, side, uh, complementing uh, the comments from Benjamin, and I think it's quite clear. If you test for other purposes, then uh, the cyclical thing is not coming, coming in. But if you test for cyclical things, like uh, any most stresses have an underlying economic scenario, I think it makes sense because if you are in the upturn, uh, then you want to slow down, and that you put this thing into your stresses, I think makes a lot of sense. Then the issue how to do it is always very difficult. But uh, a simple version of the financial cycle is defined as. Uh, housing price growth and credit growth. Uh, uh, Claudio Borio was one of the first to do that, 50-50%. And if you really look at it, they are extremely closely correlated because uh, housing price growth is financed by mortgages, so they are more or less the same. So the difference in any way, if you look at bank balance sheets in Europe, 60-70% to is mortgages. So in the end, uh, uh, banks are quite close to, uh, to what's happening in the housing and the mortgage market. Mm-hmm. So I would say that uh, what happens to house prices is at the core of the cyclical pattern, that we happen to define um, uh, cyclical by credit to GDP. Uh, that's the Basel definition. But uh, given that mortgage is part of credit, I would solve that problem that if you look at credit growth, you look for 90%, including what happens to uh, mortgages. So I, I would say you're mm-hmm. c- quite close there. Uh, the second issue um, on the analytics, I was really happy that you took the, the GZIP uh, capital chart separately, because in macroprudential, we always make a distinction of what are your uh, cyclical uh, instruments and what are your structural uh, instruments. And the G-SIP is really related to to too-big-to-fail. And uh, uh, that is not a cyclical issue, that's a structural issue. So if you get more capital because you're too-big-to-fail, then that that should not be part of the cyclical buffer. So I I fully um, agree with you on that uh, that, uh, element. And then a final question is, um, uh, of course, we have to do it at EU level, uh, but then uh, in the end, you do an implementation also. Then my big question is, um, um, would we execute this at the ECB level? Uh, so you do a different, uh, differentiated approach, so if you're lower in the cycle, you get a lower, uh, lower stress test scenario, but still the ECB protects the integrity and the consistency, or would you propose to do this at the <coughs> national level? So who should, uh, said, uh, so even if we all agree that we do a cyclical scenario, which is very controversial, like I said uh, two weeks ago when we had this uh, review of macroprudential policy, but even if you sign up, should that in the euro area happen at the national or at the, at, the, at the ECB level? I give you two minutes for reaction and then we open up the floor. <laughs>
1: Sorry, you want me to to ask on uh, this, this,
0: and I maybe have also a comment on Benjamin. Yeah, so I mean, we'll up your, up. I start
1: with your last question. I think this is uh, the the ECB. I mean, ECB is under under the SSM is in charge of the supervision of uh, euro area banks, at least uh, of significant banks. So the the scenario design indeed is done by the ESRB, and uh, so not by the local. Uh, authorities we are not proposing <laughs> local authorities to get back into their perimeter the conduction of stress tests we we are just saying that the domestic cyclical position has to be taken into account in, in when it comes to designing the adverse scenario so countries that for example measured uh, through those two indicators of the financial uh, Position in the financial cycle that you just mentioned, like credit uh, uh, credit growth or, or credit to GDP gap and house price, housing prices. We should look at those two indicators at the at the national level in order to to, to calibrate the domestic parts of the of the adverse uh, adverse uh, scenario. So that. Countries that are experiencing a housing boom, that will come certainly associated with the credit boom, will, should experience in the, should be subject to a higher um, fall in GDP under the adverse scenario and then a higher fall in, in housing prices under the uh, adverse scenario than countries that are not in that cyclical position. When one looks at the we, we, in the paper, we just uh, did a, a scatter plot on the on the um, on the um, like very simple measure of, of severity, which was the GDP fall in the in the last EBA uh, ECB uh, uh, stress test, and we plotted the the different uh, uh, credit to GDP gaps of the of the countries at the EU level and the GDP fall uh, in, the, in the last, uh, uh, in the adverse scenario of the last stress test. And what comes out of that uh, scatter plot is nothing. Just lots of points with no clear pattern, which uh, from a macro prudential perspective, Whereas, from a macro prudential perspective, we should see a clear pattern in which countries with a l- very low, uh, very negative credit to GDP gap should experience a very uh, low uh, fall in GDP uh, under the other scenario. We don't see that. So, okay. this was. <laughs> okay.
0: So I think I now open up because yeah, okay. um, uh, we have a microphone, and please uh, say where. Uh, your name and um, from which uh, organization you are. So who can I, here at the front?
3: Yes, my name is Um and I uh, come from an institution called Cobain Economics, a consultancy based in, in the Scandinavia area. I have a question maybe f- for both of you, um, and that has a bit to do with the nature of the stress test and uh, the link between the nature of the stress test and the, the motivation of the logic behind having pro-cyclical, um, what you call severity. Uh, because if you do a stress test, a proper macroeconomic stress test, then almost by definition, the, the risk of losses should go up in, a, in an upturn, in the sense that the structural value, for example, house prices would come further apart from their structural long-term levels. So I think there is an Im- if if you do the stress test in a meaningful real macroeconomic way, you've already built into a psychic component of the stress test. If you haven't done that i will I will be very concerned about how you do these stress tests. I think that they they are then constructed in the wrong way now, provided you have this very structural component in your stress testing, I fail somewhat to see the argument for that when you then can convert it into your view on what the buffer should be, then you then do some kind of pro um review to it because you've built that into the stress test already. So to put it simple, you are at the, at the top of a housing boom in an in, in area I know of Stockholm. And uh, I think there's only one way prices can go, downwards. So if you do the stress test in the Stockholm area, and, and some of the big banks have done so, they go down, and there's a large risk, and they're trying to assess this. On the other hand, if you look at the housing market in Philadelphia in 2010, you would see that house prices were probably below construction costs, and you know there was only one way prices could go up, and I think to reflect on this. So I'd rather see, and that's a question to you, I would, I, the argument, if you do the stress test in such a meaningful way, why would you then also want to have some kind of pro cyclical uh, use of these stress tests for setting capsule buffers? Okay,
1: okay. so <laughs> I'm happy to kind of interpret that you think meaningful is, uh, <laughs> is pro cyclical <laughs> I mean, when it comes to 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 the shock on 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 housing prices, it's, it is very clear that what one would expect when we are experiencing a housing boom is that if you want to shock, you have to put a very very embed in the in the in the adverse scenario a very important uh, drop in house prices, so meaningful and macroprudential uh, coherence go hand in hand, but imagine let's say now, let's put I don't want to co- to talk about Italy because I come from the Bank of Italy, nor of Spain because I'm Spanish, but let's talk about Greece. The the under I mean I don't know the exact uh, figures, but ben- Benjamin knows. Uh, but in the last. Uh, uh, EBA ECB stress test, the GDP fall in Greece was, I would say, along the adverse scenario, was uh, close to two digits. This is a country that has already gone down by two digits in the last, uh, uh, in GDP, in in the last uh, eight years. I mean, is it meaningful? Maybe it's more likely that the, the, for whatever reasons, not only <laughs> related to economic, but um, political tensions, that the, the the Greek economy go down, but might go down by seven percent than the German economy go down by seven percent. So here is where the the, the macroprudential coherence may go against what meaningful means, and that's why we need a, a framework in which we. Realize that resilience, the level of resilience, we could ask, we could require banks to operate under uh, 100% resilience level. Just equity funded, but that sounds like not meaningful. So the macroprudential. The, the, yeah, macro- but, uh, the co- short
0: question is if we do uh, the, uh, the cycle properly into the, the stress test, are you re- happy? So if we d- define meaningfulness, so it depends on where you are in the cycle if we do it properly, are you then happy? And then you are only asking for a consistent framework. No,
1: I I think I wouldn't be completely, it's not just about likely, it's just, I mean, we have to be willing to accept that the banking systems of countries that are doing bad operate under lower resilience levels. That's what macroprudential means. Yeah, but
0: that comes out of it because that's exactly because if you have an, a weaker stress test because you are already further down, so you mm-hmm. theoretically you should not go down much further, mm-hmm. then you get automatically okay. a weaker stress test mm-hmm. than compared to country uh, country like mm-hmm. in Stockholm was in the boom.
2: Yeah, if okay. I, if, I, if mm-hmm. I may add yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a very valid point, and that is also something we do in the e stress test. So it is exactly the kind of discussions we then have with the ERSB who designs the scenario, so meaning a country that has just a large boom, the housing market, you mentioned Sweden, um, what would be a shock there compared to other markets? You will then see in the scenario that I think Sweden has the largest um, real estate shock. I'm not 100% sure, but that's, that's what I think at least. Indeed, then uh, the discussions are how likely is it in, in a country that just had a 45% decrease in real estate prices to have another 45% decrease in real estate prices? Um, so even if we look at a roughly equal um, severity, I think, with some sort of more um, simpler measure, just on GDP, like the last stress test was probably a bit more severe than the one before, but very comparable. Even though the underlying shocks then can be very different. That's that's your point. So the the losses then in certain portfolios can can be much larger, and this is that's built built in. There's more to it. That's why you don't find it in a scatter plot because some countries might be more volatile than other countries, depending on the shock. But still, this is this is built, and I think the, the, that paper goes one step further and says you shouldn't um, leave the the severity unchanged, but even change that, which would give it an even bigger pro-cyclical impact. That's how we, how I understand it.
0: Is that correct? That you do it, do it double? <coughs> I, I mean.
1: mean when, when, I, mean, I just, uh, I mean, since I think we are on the same foot when it comes to, to the, the, the housing prices, I, I, I come back to the, the Greek, Greek uh, example. Mm, under uh, our approach... Yeah, but th-
0: we can keep on talking about Greece, but there's also like a, a small percentage of yeah. the euro. So let's take another country which is quite large. Let's, for example, take France. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has a different uh, cyclical uh, yeah. uh, than, for example, Germany, they see also that effect. So th- if you put the whole discussion on Greece, then I find it a bit difficult, so.
1: No, I just uh, I went, I just yeah. went to, the, to the extremes. Yeah, today. yeah, it yeah. Very <laughs> so so the, the, the point is also that, I mean, talking about severity, is, 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 it is difficult to, to talk about severity in a serious way when we don't have a measure. So let me go to, if you want to, your first, uh, first um, uh, question on any ideas on stress test severity measure. So the Federal Reserve has done some, some work on that direction and also on, on rules in order to choose severity. For example, they consider that the most important macroeconomic var- variable uh, uh, on which to build the entire uh, adverse scenario is the unemployment rate in the U.S. Yeah, and and they have the fo- and the, and they have the following uh, rule in order to set the path of the unemployment rate under the adverse scenario of the stress test. That the unemployment rate should attain, under the nine, uh, nine quarters uh, uh, horizon on which the distress tests are conducted, it should at least <coughs> attain a 10% level, and it should at least increase by four percentage points. So in this way, when, when the, the, I mean, you see, when the U.S. economy is, in, in, is experiencing a, 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 an expansion, the, the, the unemployment rate is very low, let's say three percent. Forcing the unemployment rate level to get to 10 percent means that the unemployment rate will have to increase at, at least by seven percent seven percentage uh, points. When the economy is in a downturn and the unemployment rate is already high <coughs> the uh, increase in that variable under that scenario is smaller. So this is the kind of, of, of things, not so related to something really difficult to measure, which is the likelihood. The likelihood of the unemployment rate going when it is at 9%, I mean, going up and down. No, oh no, but it's a clear, this is a clear uh, case to do that.
0: And then the second question is, uh, given that we, the financial cycle, if you take the Boreo people, is always uh, uh, credit and and, and and housing, and then the U.S. is introducing unemployment, uh, which is different, because uh, I think the BIS people are always afraid that if uh, too much credit goes into assets,
1: mm-hmm.
0: well, this is more a hardcore
1: macroeconomic variable. In employment. Mm-hmm. But, for example, I mean, yeah. to the extent that just, uh, just to bring to this and that, real estate is so important. The outcome of the of sets. fixing like clear. And I think on the on the housing prices, yeah. it, it should be. I mean, fixing r- clear rules in terms of how on the deviation from, of housing prices with respect to yeah. long-term trends. This is something that is worth to try. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. And a question there, and then a question.
4: Um, Tomi Detemmerman, European Commission. Um, Two questions. Um, the the first one is um, why why would you want to put your buffer as a pillar one measure um, for something that is fundamentally bank specific and is usually dealt with in, uh, in pillar two? What is the the reason behind this uh, this proposal? Um, and another question between the, um, the the interaction between micro and uh, and macro. Um, so you, you, want this, um, you want this buffer, you want it to be softer in, uh, in difficult times, difficult macro times. How do you reconcile that with the, the need for your stress test to be seen as credible on the, on the micro side and not to be dismissed as uh, some sort of cover-up because it's uh, and not acknowledging the, the state of your uh, your banking system in the downtime?
0: Okay, then I collect questions.
5: Um, I have, a, uh, I have a question more general uh, about uh, capacity to predict uh, macroeconomic future because all these concepts which you discuss are very nice concept, and I would say intellectually correct but then we come to implementation and first question when we discuss Counter cyclical buffers is, uh, for me, not not obvious. Where we are now, for example, from the point of business cycle, for example, in Euro uh, area, uh, we are in the top of business cycle, on the bottom, or somewhere between, or maybe already we passed already the top of business cycle. So this, I think it's quite important question. But then we have also, apart from uh, business cycle, also financial cycle, which we just addressed. And actually, we uh, know from the experience of another exercise, uh, I mean, uh, um, stability Gross Park and Excessive Deficit Procedure, that this is a quite tricky problem. So, well, as far as you have, you can take assumption about regularity of business cycle uh, is more or less fine, but we don't have regularity of business side for various reasons. And also in case of stress uh, tests, which are more bank specific. But again, you must take some macroeconomic assumption, unless you limit the test as you suggested to things like internal management or or cyber security, then uh, of course assumption about uh, um, a macroeconomic perspective is not important. But basically understand that, uh, again, we must have some some ideas about uh, where we are and where we will be macroeconomically in the future. Thank you. you.
1: Okay. Um. Yeah, so the first question regarding uh, our, our, whether we should interpret uh, our stress test buffers, Pillar 1 instead of Pillar 2. Uh, I mean, what, what we think is really important on top of the definition is that the the the, the requirement is transparent. It is disclosed. So, uh, Benjamin talked about this concept of capital guidance that uh, that to me, but this maybe uh, uh, this shows my <laughs> lack of knowledge is kind of. An obscure concept. So, or <laughs> in, in terms, of, I, 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 I think much more uh, transparency on. Bankers call it uh, the black box of stress. Uh, <laughs> on getting how? To be opened. Uh, so our point <laughs> is the 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 how the stress test results should be transformed into uh, capital implications for banks should be very transparent. Otherwise. We, 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 we open the door for markets to 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 start speculating on how and so I think transparency on this issue is is, is important and uh, and that's why we 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 propose to to disclose what this uh, what stress test buffer each bank I, if is.
0: if if you allow me to chip in and then Benjamin, you have to say if you disagree. I I would stick for pillar one because it is a country-specific way of doing the stress test that it differs by bankers, of course, because they have different exposures, but the the, 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 the idea of having different cycles, either for housing or for uh, unemployment or for uh, credit growth, these are country-specific and not bank-specific, and I'm afraid that whatever we do, Mm. we say, okay, let's do pillar two, so in the end, the whole world is pillar two, so... I would side with uh, the pillar one, given that it is that we want country scenarios rather than bank specific. Uh, so in that sense, I, I see the logic. Hmm. If you will do it, hmm. then to. Um, but then the, the key question is the credibility. So the
1: credibility, the, yeah. the micro-macro. I, uh, I, I understand that, and that will be more difficult for for, for us. That, uh, I mean. What is important is that uh, the public at large and the, the, the banks in particular, who are mostly uh, 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 interested in the in, in, in these instruments, understand what is our policy framework along the cycle. So to the extent, I mean to the extent that we are able to justify why, because we are we are not just trying to to put the problems under the carpet, the current problems <laughs> under the carpet by not conducting uh, stress tests of uh, very high severity to in, in some countries and, and, and not others. And to the extent that we are able to communicate, and the Bank of England is doing that. It's true that their economy is now, or, or was expanding. And they were, and they were, they were, they were forecasting a, 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 an economic expansion they realized that the the a countercyclical approach to stress testing was necessary and they have done a lot of communication an important communication effort in order to try to convey what is the, the idea along the the whole cycle of how they are going to conduct the stress test of course now they will if the economy continues growing they will keep on increasing the severity when things when the peak, when the the, the, the cycle uh, 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 changes and they enter into a downturn, they will have the credibility to say now it's the, the they have they will have gained some reputation to say now it's not the moment to shock the the the, 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 but the, the UK,
0: and I think you are thinking of also the credibility for other countries. So let's face it, Like, uh, let's not take your own country uh, where you work, but let's take uh, Spain and Portugal. Uh, so you introduce this technology when you are at the bottom of
1: the cycle. No, but that, that's, the, uh, that's why that takes me back to your uh, initial question. This is the ECB. The <laughs> it is the ECB who has this institution who, which has to, to, to design the adverse scenarios, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but and it is important to be able to communicate mm-hmm. why we are shocking some countries uh, more than other ones, and uh, because if investors uh, interpret our more like weaker shock in some countries as a way not to uh, make problems emerge, uh, there will be I okay. mean this stress test won't be credible. So. To 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 give a final um, answer to your question, yes, we we are in a tough situation in order to to gain credibility, to have credibility under our full proposal in the in this current uh, um, cyclical situation.
2: So yes, um, the the question of pillar one um, versus pillar two, and bank specific versus country specific, um, well, I have to say, sorry again, that depends on the objective. So if the objective of the stress test is pure real estate um, dampening credit growth or so, or a really pure real estate macroprudential measure, you might be able to do that on a country country level. Um, if it 's a stress test like the eu word stress test, we see that the results and the the impact actually varies massively by bank. These are really bank specific things and we I mean we looked at that it was very difficult to correlate the impact um, just to just to the country of the, of the bank so that would make it um indeed very very bank specific so when we talk um, about market real estate, yes country fine, stress testing is bank specific and then it puts it almost automatically into pillar two. So one of the things I said is there are other things to look at like mitigating actions for example of the bank which has to be done in in a pillar two discussion. Um, But there are also other aspects. So I mean, I agree pillar two is at the moment is less transparent but I mean, could in theory be more transparent. That would be one thing. And then um, all capital requirements which are in pillar one have. I'd say one disadvantage. They are in a way transparent because you see it directly in a a report from a bank, but it gets difficult to compare across banks. We already have that situation because we already have macroprudential tools that allow a change in pillar one risk weights, which are partly based on on stress tests. We're in Belgium today, here we we have this sort of adjustment. So these tools are calibrated on stress tests. And now when you look across the EU or across wider regions, you look at the risk weights of banks, then the question is, what do they tell you? Is it because of scenario analysis? Is it the, is it the rating? Is it the portfolio distribution? We have different stress tests. Uh, we run stress tests on minimal requirements, which are based on stress tests. So lots of complexity are coming into the picture here when you, when you adjust the Pillar 1 um, risk weights. And the micro-macro
0: question?
2: The well, well, yeah. Obviously, that's that's a question which is very, very dear to my heart. So, thank you for mentioning that. The credibility is would be a major problem indeed if we went for more pro-cyclical scenarios. So, I mean, we uh, for the EBA or the EU stress test, we get that pressure all the time. So, if something went wrong in one country, even though a model might say. Um, now it's less less likely that we see another GDP um, contraction. Um, we're not only looking for um, a um, academically right probability level, but we have also other objectives like what do we see as what could what could happen, or what what is really the the credibility issue or the confidence issue? How can we restore confidence in the sector that might require indeed a severe scenario on top of a. Something severe, something severe that has, has already happened.
0: And then the key question is also the, the final question, uh, capacity pr- to predict. Because uh, I think uh, mm-hmm. that was very, it was a very wise question.
2: It's a, it was a very wise question. I <laughs> aim, um, actually have it somewhere in my notes. I think I wanted to make the same comment, but I, f- I forgot, so thank you for that question and thank you for reminding me. Obviously, if we knew uh, when we design, actually, when So B designs the scenario. If we knew exactly what would happen next year or the next three years, it would be fairly simple to be pro-cyclic. We'll say, okay, now we're at the trough. Now everything can only be be better in uh, these three countries. Therefore, we don't need a severe stress test. We'll only, they will definitely make a profit next year. They will increase capital. Yeah, but unfortunately, we don't. We can only talk in terms of um, probabilities uh, based on historical data um, is, it, is it likely, is it unlikely that something <coughs> happens again? So there's always some sort of expert overlay. But,
0: but for example, maybe you can c- come in because you're mm. in Sweden, so you uh, the, the, the one of the two countries with a counter-cyclical buffer uh, 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 active. And how would you approach it? Because the, I think Merrick had, a good, Merrick had a good question. It's often difficult, I think, but in Sweden, you, you, you are aware of the risk of your upturn or not?
3: need to think about what are the objectives of macroeconomic policy and what are the objectives of bank safety policies. And as I see the pillar one, pillar two discussions, it's basically a question of DEFCON evolution. So, and therefore, I'm, I'm putting a bit weight on what you're saying about mitigation actions, that if you see specific risk attached to one bank or Google banks, then there's a signal from stress tests and otherwise that the bank needs to address the specific risks that are giving them bad scores in the stress tests. I think, Therefore, I think while the minimum level is, in my view, also set in to basically to ensure that if something went really wrong, before the state started to do recapitalization and so on, there will be a sufficient level of solvency for the taxpayers not to pay. So there is this escalation of, and therefore there is this extremely good argument for having minimum weights, and a, a buffer where the uh, the monetary authority or the banking regulation have the means to engage with the bank so that it doesn't run down to the minimum weight. Now <clears throat> in Sweden, I'm not Swedish, but I work for the Sweden, some Swedish bank uh, customers, and of course there is a big discussion in Sweden right now. Uh, and I was in a banking conference two weeks ago, where the uh, director general from the Finansinspektion, the the uh, the uh, Swedish Baffin, if you like, uh, we're very much calling for micro-potential regulation, like total income, total house price to income ratios, which is micro to macro, and all the big uh, CEOs from the big banks say, "Well, sorry, we have done stress tests, pretty tough ones, on the and and basically we are home safe." So. This this whole discussion of where is micro macro. But
0: that's the interesting thing, because in Sweden they have this difficult thing that also the macroprudential instruments are with the supervisor, not with the central bank. But then maybe the banks are micro-safe, so the stressors say that the banks are safe, but who's slowing down housing price growth there? Yeah,
3: but then I think that's why you're just inviting me, because... What, I think here we need to think about what is the role of bank policies, yeah. and what is the role of macroeconomic policies, and what's, what's driving house prices in Sweden, in the UK, in, in, everywhere is migration to the big cities, pushing up prices, and then you have crazy monetary policies yeah. in Sweden, minus degrees. Uh, everywhere even. QE, so you know QE and all yeah. this sort of things. So is it really then? Ah, okay. We have crazy monetary policies. We have migration to the cities. Then we need to have something on top on banking policies. You could also do something about tax policies that discourage house prices. You could do something about monetary policies, and you could do something. So how much burden do you put on the banking relation? I think that 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 but that's part I, of can it. Can I can ask
2: then an
0: o- other question because. If you say monetary policy is absent, because we have QE and we live in an international world, then if we don't do too much with banking policy, our tax policy, we all know, uh, house owners are voters. So uh, although the, the government is the ideal person, they are often even pro-cyclical uh, with their housing. I'm from the Netherlands and there, we get the interest rate deductibility, which is, that's why we have extremely high house prices. So the, the Often the wrong one because you have the election cycle. So, but then nothing happens. So, if the monetary is not doing it, the banking policy is not doing it, and then the government is not doing it, then we are the housing boom is happening again.
3: Yeah, and then and the question is then how big? I mean, you just on the stress test on the Swedish banks, they have the lowest losses almost of any of the countries, and they have uh, they have capital they have capital adequacy ratios uh, eight, nineteen, and above. So the, not to say that they cannot burn through this capital, I would be very surprised. Yeah. So the question is again, the kind of economic crisis that would be required to burn down debt and before all the mitigated actions on the pillar two could be in place, would be you know, World War III in my opinion. Yeah. So the, the question is again here, the, the balance, how mm-hmm. much burden can you put on banking policies yeah. if mm-hmm. what needs to break down banks is a huge economic crisis that must yeah. come from somewhere else. I think. This is kind of a balance, and it goes also a bit for me to the whole idea about having counter-cyclical elements built into this, because is is, is it to, is it basically a supplement to economic policies not supporting growth in this situation? What what is the purpose of it? I'm I'm simply a bit questioning a bit. What is the purpose of it?
0: Any other questions?
6: Yes, two, Jean-Frédéric EIB, two two simple dummy questions. Um, Have you thought in terms of uh, implications for the optimal frequency of stress tests of your (coughs) modelling, and also, of course, implications for resources uh, consumption, the the SSM and the EBA. And the question: I'm not familiar with the Bank of England's communication. How do they communicate? How would you communicate then the country-specific cyclical position? Uh, there would be a component which is regional, or you, you, uh, and, and another one which is country specific. A- and, and the third remark, before those, perhaps of the implications for for um, competition policy stated. I remember Gertjan Kockman mentioning <laughs> the, the issue of uh, basically um, losses under uh, under the adverse. scenario being eligible for precautionary cap, subject to aid, outside the resolution frameworks that are in BPRD. So, which is about, the, we go back to yeah. the issue of the credibility of the loss yeah. on this trail.
0: Okay. Would you like to um. the frequency?
1: Yeah, so I mean, these uh, stress tests are, uh, they require massive uh, human capital resources. So uh, we can, I think we cannot <laughs> increase their, their frequency. So, uh, uh, this is a, an annual uh, exercise that gives you you want, a point in time uh, yes, yes. Uh, yes. <coughs> view of the of the state of the of the banking system, and, uh, and I think that, that that's the, the the right frequency. Then, when it comes to the communication, the, there are two issues: the communication of the of the overall framework that has the a cyclical dimension, and the Bank of England has done it in, has published an official doc- document, and uh, in which they presented their strategy for the next uh, years. Uh, uh, f- when it comes to their approach to stress testing, and then when when uh, then in, uh, in the in the current. Uh, uh, stress test exercise, they have relied on that framework in explaining how the adverse scenario had been chosen. Under our proposal of uh, country-specific shocks in the Euro area stress test, we should, of course, first develop this framework, explain what are going to be the the main indicators to identify, of course, not in a perfect manner, the the cyclical position of, of every country and then when the adverse uh, scenario is uh, is designed we should make reference to those indicators so that the uh, the, the the public sees the strong link be- between our policy strategy along the, the entire cycle and how we uh, make uh, uh, severity choices scenario choices uh, for the different uh, uh, domestic components in in, in, in each year uh, stress <coughs> test. Okay, thank mm-hmm.
2: you. Any, any <coughs> I I really don't have anything um, to to add there. Also, I'm not sure how how the Bank of England communi- communicated uh, that um, that strategy. Um, I'm not sure if there was a question on the the use of stress testing um, in the aspect of resolution or not. Mm. If so. Mm. Hmm.
0: I think it is fair to say, if we go to the conclusions, is that the Bank of England is at the forefront of cyclical thinking on financial policy, uh, financial uh, in the financial policy committee, uh, more than many other central banks. In that sense, uh, I'm not surprised that they are already partly doing these things Mm -hmm. because they understand that macroprudential is about many things, but including uh, the cyclical thing. And then I think. Uh, if we conclude also, we, we, we come also to the bigger picture, uh, I think, which you put on the table. Uh, the macroeconomic policy, anyway, in a country, what is the division between the different parties? Uh, and, and then it's in, in a question of preference, where you want to put it. And uh, uh, my only danger is that all parties find it too difficult to do, that nobody's doing it. So I think everybody <laughs> should chip in. <laughs> because if there is one lesson from the U.S., and and look at Ireland and Spain, is there were housing booms with hindsight that were completely clear. If we do the crafts, we all see them. But at the time, nobody was acting on it and seeing them. So I would rather have too many parties uh, looking at these things than too little. So, uh, but I think the conclusion is also, it is not extremely easy uh, to implement. including uh, the question is uh, who can predict uh, the cycle because Mm you talked about the peak. Well, the peak you can only observe uh, afterwards (laughs) when you have passed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think the the idea is interesting that at least um, what happens with the stress test and what happens uh, with the the capital framework that at least if you think about it in a consistent way, I think that's the added value of Mm -hmm. today's discussion, that the two things should not be uh, too separate. And also that we dare, and I think you reinforce that point also, that like a countercyclical buffer and a capital conservation, we, we have to dare to use it. So when uh, the stress happens, then we should also be able to draw down on it. And not many supervisors dare to do that. So I think there we have uh, agreement. And uh, the lunch is waiting for us, but before that, I would like to uh, thank both the discussant and the speaker for a uh, very uh, nice morning.
2: We are aware that the Bank of England runs two scenarios. One is. One